up? How's everybody doing? Good? Hey. Hey, y'all need to know this is my first time like teaching again in person and it feels so good. Uh, for everybody who's online, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, we did that thing to Naeem just randomly. Just, I just, you all need to know a little bit about my personality. I thought, you know what? I was late coming here. So Naeem, if you're watching, let's just full on confession. Um, I was running on Indian Standard Time. Anybody know about <laughs> Indian Standard Time? Uh, well, if we're doing a prayer meeting it's la- and it says, you know, it's an hour, it's going to last about four hours and everybody's not going to get there until two hours in, just so you, you know. Um, so I thought, you know what? Let's just bless Pastor Naeem and just act like I didn't show up. You know, that, that would really bless him. But this is really... This is really an insight into who I am, like, as a child. Like, this is built into my DNA. So I want to give you a a quick little example. Uh, In high school, you all know about instigators? Anybody? Yeah, man, I was an instigator. I'm not proud of it. But there's still some seeds of that that are left in me in my adult uh, ages or stage. And so I was at a family thing the other day, uh, and it was like our, our neighborhood had everybody kind of come together, socially distanced outside, which all of that is so interesting. And people see me, and, and I know what they're asking. I just know. They have a look in their eyes, even above their masks. I can kind of tell by the twinkle in the eye. And the question is going to be, so, where are you from? I'm like, all right. How am I going to I know what they're trying to get at. Like, I know what they're trying to ask. So I'll say... Yeah, um, I'm from Chicago. And they're shook. <laughs> like, Chicago? We're, but, bro, you got, like, dark skin, and we're not, you know? And, and then and they're like, no, 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 like, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, no, tell me, what do I know? <laughs> like, you know, where, where, where are you from, from? I'm like, oh, from, from, like, my ethnic heritage. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm like, oh, I'm from India, uh, from a city called Hyderabad. But, uh, you know, I think it's so intriguing that we really care about where you're from, right? And so, and so the question that hits us is like, where are you from? Or what city are you from? Because it serves as an anchor point in order to kind of understand the makeup of this individual. So, for instance, when I say I'm from the city of Chicago, everybody already knows that I represent two things. The greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, let's go. And number two, the greatest pizza of all time, Chicago deep dish pizza. Let's, let's go, right? Um, and so every time, I know I share this all the time, like, why is it that I share, why is it a compulsion inside of my heart to share this? Because that city has somehow shaped me. I don't know how to explain it. From a little kid, I remember watching MJ do these things that were like unthinkable, unimaginable to the point that there was that big saying, I just want to be like Mike. I remember my first time sitting in Giordano's staring at this massive, you're like, really? I do, I do. It's just massive. I'm like, there's something glorious. It, it, it shaped me. It shaped me. And last week, y'all started a series called Glow, and I was trying to think, okay, uh, I know I was going to teach this weekend, and I'm listening to Pastor Naeem preach, and and he really jumped uh, into Matthew 5, 14, and I love this text, right? It says this, you are the light of of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he kept going, and he kept teaching, and he talked about light and the importance of light and, and how we're supposed to shine like light in our world. But, but I was actually taken back because I was all the way back in 
You're a city set on a hill. This is such an interesting phrase. Why would Jesus describe believers, people who, who love him, who, who are going to be called to him, why would he describe these people coming together as a city? And why would he describe the city as being a city that's on a hill? Now, if you're anything like me, at this point, I begin to ask a bunch of questions, right? Like, like that's how my, my brain just goes down the rabbit hole. And so I ask questions like, okay, what is this city? What is the makeup of this city? And then I ask, well, whose city is this? Is this just a random city that's on the hill? And then the question goes, okay, if this is a legitimate city that is on a hill and there's something about these, this light idea, what's required of those that live within the city? And then I began to ask some questions. One is, does the Bible even tell us what in the world the city is, or is this just a metaphor, an illustration, an, an illusion that Jesus gives us to help our imagination spark? Is there intentionality behind the idea of a city? And so I just want to do a quick, like, biblical theology. All this simply means is we're going to look at the Bible kind of from the Old Testament into the New Testament and say, all right, is this idea of city developed? And so if, I hope you all are ready. We'll just go about two hours. I'm flying, I'm flying. I wish I had two hours. Um, but first, I want to also identify some of y'all might be in this room thinking, I'm not quite sure if I can even trust the Bible. <laughs> right? Some of you online might be skeptical, like, that's great that you're about to jump into, the, into this thing called the Bible, but I'm not even sure if I can trust what the Bible even says. Uh, and so I want to address that spot first. And so in high school or in those early college y'all's uh, years, have anybody ever heard of the Odyssey? Anybody? Raise your hand. You heard of the Odyssey, right? Uh, have you all heard about the Iliad? Anybody? Iliad? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Um, anybody heard about this dude named Homer who wrote, <laughs> who wrote these two? Okay, cool. Any question at all about the historicity, whether uh, these things are historical? Any questions? Probably not. I, I want to show you an illustration, a, a graphic up here. You're going to see it on the screen, this graphic. Uh, it's really intriguing, right? So outside of the, the divine inherent nature of the scriptures, I want you to see this graphic uh, that actually identifies this idea of manuscripts. This is what this is saying, that there are about 650 manuscripts of Homer's Iliad. There are about 330 manuscripts of Euripides' The Tragedies. Y'all heard of a guy named Plato? About seven manuscripts of a guy named Plato. You see that big old balloon, hot air balloon thing? That represents just the New Testament. You want to know how many manuscripts, original kind of manuscripts we have of the New Testament? 6,000. So I just want to lay this out for you before we jump into the text. Just, just a suggestion, if you're just curious about the validity and the historicity of the scriptures, we have more manuscript evidence for the authenticity and the historicity of the Bible than we do of Homer's works. Now, at this point, we need to come to some decisions, the content that's inside of the Bible. Is the Bible actually true, or is it 
fictitious, C.S. Lewis once said, when we look at Jesus in the Bibles, we have to come to either terms that he's either a liar or a lunatic, or he is exactly who he says he is, the Son of God. And so I want us to start from this place. Let's look at the Bible, and let's just think that it might be historical. And what does the Bible actually have to say about these cities? Well, we turn to Ezekiel 42. It's this Old Testament prophet, Ezekiel, who saw a vision, and this is what he says. He says, In visions of God, he brought me to the land of Israel, and he set me down on a very high mountain. I want you to pay attention to the similar imagery that's used. A very high mountain on which was a structure like a city to the south. Psalm 48, 1 through 3. Praise the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in catch this elevation, it's a high up place, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of who? Of our great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. The Hebrew word here for citadels, it actually communicates just that a fortress, but it is a place that is like stacked. It is a place, if you're in danger, you're going to the citadel. If you're worried about attack from the enemy, you're going to the fortress. This is the description of what this type of city is. Psalm 46, 4 through 5, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God. It's a city that has rivers. And it'd be like, fly fishing, this is your spot. The holy habitation of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Hebrews eleven ten. for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Check this, whose designer and builder is whom? God. Hebrews eleven sixteen, but it, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Can we just pause and just be honest with ourselves? Anybody desire for something better? Right? Like anybody desire for a, a place that doesn't have chaos and confusion and destruction and divisiveness? Anybody desire this? That's what the author of Hebrews says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is, and then he defines it, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? For he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews 13, 15. For here we have no lasting city. I want that to settle in into our hearts and to consider the consequences of this statement. For here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. What is this city that is to come? Revelation 21.2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw what? The holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What is this city? Well, every description of the city from Scripture that we can find is it's a city that is not empty. It's a city that is filled with people. But it is not a city filled with people that are running rampant amok doing crazy stuff. It's a city filled with citizens, and those citizens are ruled by a king, and his name is Jesus. It's the city of God. 
so what does that mean for you and I? Here's a little spatial idea. If there is a city that you look at and you long for, but you're over here, what does that mean for where we want to go? It means we may want to make a journey to that city to experience the joy that is in that city, to experience the applause and the celebrations that are taking place in that city. It's a high city. Everybody can hear what's going on over there. To experience the security that is present inside of that city. I want to read Colossians 1.13 through 14, and here's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the good news of Jesus, that, that citizenship, entry into that city is absolutely possible. How? Because of Jesus' conquering of sin and death, overcoming death and rising on the third day. And this is what Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, that Jesus, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. I'm just going to suggest this is a type of city. I see this filled in darkness. I see this filled with chaos and, and destruction. So he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is epic. This is good news. And yet this creates an immense amount of tension. Because, as some theologians would say, this describes what the scriptures point to as the already but not yet. You see, friends, you and I, those that have put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we're, we're already a part of this new city. We're citizens of the kingdom. But the kingdom has not yet come in all of its fullness so what does that mean? I want to unpack this. One of my favorite theologians, Stanley Harwas, he describes the church as this type of city. This is what he says. The church is a colony, an island of one culture in the middle of another. Anybody can relate to this? In baptism, our citizenship is transferred from one dominion to another. And check this, we become in whatever culture we find ourselves as resident aliens. Like, like this is so intriguing to think that Christians, that people who put their faith and trust in Jesus find themselves as truly citizens of the kingdom and yet, simultaneously, we find ourselves as faithful representatives of the kingdom, but living in a city that is not our own. So how do we live in the city? It creates this tension, kind of like what I experienced growing up in Chicago. Y'all know I'm Indian, right? <laughs> so I grew up in Chicago. I grew up, like, right outside of the city. Like, I say Chicago, but I grew up in Oak Park, Maywood, Bellwood, that area. And one of the things that I loved, again, remember I said the city kind of shapes our identity. It shapes what we love and what we long for. Well, the city of Chicago just caused me to love basketball, and so I remember going onto the basketball court. And y'all, in the summertime, when the sun is out, I'm spending about five to seven hours in the sun. My hair cut is short, tight, faded. All my black friends are like, homie, come on, you're rolling with us. But then the winter hits. 
And at the wintertime, I'm not outside as much, and my dark doesn't have as much melanin as it normally does in the summertime, and, and then I let my hair grow out, because, you know, it's got to be warm in Chicago. It's cold in Chicago, so you let your hair grow out, and then all my Latino friends are like, yo, I say, come on, you're one of us, let's go. <laughs> you know what I find? I'm like in the middle. What? Where do I belong? I'm like a resident alien. <laughs> what is going on? And, and it created this tension. It, it really did. Do I belong here, or do I belong there, or maybe I belong just where I am, and I just need to represent who Joel is as an Indian living in the midst of many different cultures. You see what I'm saying? I think this applies to our reality of living as citizens of this brilliant, majestic city, and yet simultaneously every day facing the tension of realizing that we are not in a city that is our own. Our hearts long for something more. However, just because our hearts long for something more does not give us the excuse or the opportunity to reject the city that we're in right now. It doesn't mean that we can just hide to the hills and be like, well, eventually Jesus is going to come back, so let everything else just kind of fall as it may. No, you see, citizens of the great city of God have a responsibility. I love what Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says. It describes this pretty brilliantly. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. If we're members of the household of God, everybody knows the members of a household have responsibilities. Thanksgiving is coming up. Some people are responsible for the turkey. Some people are responsible for the stuffing. Some people are responsible for the mashed potatoes. I don't have any responsibility for any three of these because I'm Indian and we don't do these things. <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing. We do. We do both. We do Indian food and we do Thanksgiving like, you know, normal turkey stuff. But what would happen if somebody shows up to Thanksgiving and doesn't come with their famous mashed potatoes? People are about to have a revolt. Because you have a responsibility as part of the household. You see, that means that if we do, it has a consequence, and if we don't, it has a consequence. Citizenship in the New Testament is identified by this language that Paul uses, which is in Christ. He always uses it. Just as you're into the New Testament, if you're, if you're like in Christ, just highlight it, circle it, just pay attention. Homeboy uses it all the time. What is he saying when he's saying in Christ? This is what he's saying. To be in Christ is to be wrapped up in the body, the presence, and the power of Jesus himself. To be in Christ means that we are in the sphere of his influence. To be in Christ means that we are one with him. It describes belonging to the family, and because we belong to the family, you and I have responsibilities that come with the family. As Paul is writing the New Testament, uh, parts of the New Testament, this is not void in his mind. In fact, he's drawing on a lot of Old Testament ideology. It's really intriguing in the Old Testament. There's this understanding that to be a citizen of a city meant that you have these responsibilities, but it also came with privileges. So in the ancient Near East, um, you could actually get away with all kinds of wrongdoing 
simply based off your citizenship. It's like an ace card that you get to pull out and be like, oh, guess what? I'm a citizen, so you can't do this to me. Uh, Really intriguing. In the Old Testament, the law of God does not stand for this. Just look at Exodus 21, 12. In fact, the Old Testament understanding of citizenship, this is going to be a little bit rough to hear, but let's hear it because it's in the text. The Old Testament understanding of citizenship that Paul and Jesus himself develop even further is the idea that as a citizen, you actually lay down some of your privilege for those that are on the margins of society. What? But, but my citizenship is supposed to allow me to, to be elevated position and stature and power. Well, the citizenship of Jesus caused him to leave the perfection of heaven into the chaos of humanity and die the death of a murderer that he was totally innocent of. And then Jesus says, participate with me in in that so that you might be welcomed into the city. And so our citizenship of this brilliant city has a cost along with its privilege. What does this also mean? Number two, if we're citizens of the city, right, and we have responsibilities that come with the city, it also means that you and I are ambassadors of the city. An ambassador represents the power and the authority and the presence of the king of the city. They reflect the city. Here's the idea. Uh, the idea is, let me, let me use this illustration. Um, I'm Indian. Y'all know that, right? Okay, good. I was in India uh, maybe five years ago, and I had to go to the Indian consulate in India. Crazy. When you walk onto the Indian, like the, the U.S. embassy that is in Indian soil, the minute that you walk onto that embassy, guess what soil you're on? U.S. soil! This is This is unbelievable. This isn't a new idea. This is an ancient idea. The same thing applied in the ancient world with the, with the Greeks and the Romans. The idea is that as an ambassador, if you held that representative authority, that you walked with the power of the king, and you walked with the presence of the king so that where you walk, he walks with you. It's almost like this, the places that you step on become uh, the territory, the, the place, the position, the power of the king himself. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is exactly what the apostle Paul is saying about us. He says that um, it is in Christ. Remember I told you all his in Christ language? There you go. Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are, catch this, ambassadors for Christ. That is God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to Christ. As ambassadors of Christ, you and I carry the power and the presence of Christ himself who is the king. What does that mean for us? It also simultaneously means that we are granted the protection of the king. What a comforting idea. That we can walk as citizens of the city of God and also simultaneously be resident aliens in whatever culture that we find ourselves in, but we're not left unprotected. We have the protection of the king. 
So we walk with a humble confidence because we represent the humble king of heaven. And this is where what I want to teach right now, I'm gonna teach something, this is not true. I don't think I've ever done this before. This is what I wanna teach means y'all will never feel hardship. Guess why? Because you're protected by the king. Y'all are never gonna suffer tragedy. And, and, and divisive relationships. You're never going to have to experience the hardship of forgiveness. Why? Because you're protected by the king. Don't you know you're an ambassador of the king? That's what I want to preach. That's what I, I want to teach. And yet I can't. Why? Because in Ephesians 6, 19 through 20, same guy, Paul, who's preaching 6, 19 through 20, this is what he says. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Catch this. For which I am an ambassador. Awesome. I wish there was a period and it ended. It doesn't. For which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so yet, Paul, still with all that humble confidence, can still find himself in chains proclaiming the goodness of the gospel. Why is this so important for us? Because the presence of persecution and suffering is evidence that we actually don't even belong we're looking towards a greater city, and yet we have this deep desire to see other people join us in the heavenly city. We don't want them to be stuck in a city of darkness, which leads me to point number three. If we're citizens of this city, that means that you and I are signposts to the city. I love the, the light image, right? The glow image. Light lets you know there is hope in the midst of darkness. And citizens of the city of God are beacons of that hope that serve as a signpost to help people walk out of the darkness. Do you ever find yourself in darkness? What do you look for? Light. Why? Because the end of that light is the way out of the darkness. I uh, picked up some friends about eight years ago when I lived in Seattle, Washington, actually an hour and a half north of Seattle in Bellingham. Um, and you just need to know a part of who I am. I'm not very good with directions. It's a very tragic. This story is going to illustrate it. Um, if you ask me how to get to the Starbucks, I'll, I won't say go northeast here and hit this street. I'll say, you know, the Walgreens on the corner make a right, and you'll see a big old tree, make a left, and then keep going. You'll, you'll get there. And if not, ask Siri. So I'm driving, and, and y'all, I know this, this out of SeaTac, I know how to get back home, right? It's an hour and a half north towards Canada uh, in this little place called Bellingham, Washington. And I pick up some from friends of mine that I've known for a long time, and we just begin talking. You know what that's like when you pick up some friends and you just get into conversation. And I know that on the right-hand side, driving home every time, I know in my mind on the right-hand side, I see this big white dome, what is this white dome? I don't know to this day. I don't know what the white dome is, but I know that there is a white dome, and I know that it's always on my right-hand side. So I'm driving, and I swear, y'all, I swear I saw the right dome on my right-hand side driving back home. I'm like, we're good. Like, we're, about an hour and a half, we're going to get there. Well, it's an hour and a half, and then I start to see signposts for Portland, Oregon, <laughs> which, just so you know, is the total opposite direction that I'm supposed to be going. So an hour and a half trip back home turns into a three-hour trip. Why? Because the signposts were faulty? Nah, I was faulty. 
I want to point this out. Our obedience and faithfulness as serving as signposts means that we do everything that we can do, but the person who watches it, that responsibility on following the signpost is on them. Signposts just have to do their job, and and you and I, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we just really have to do our jobs of being faithful representatives of the kingdom of heaven. And this sheds a weight of burden off of us. We just have to do what the Lord has called us to. And this has a byproduct. What is that byproduct? Point number four. The you and I, citizens of the city, we are the fragrance of that city. The holidays are coming up, and we already know what fragrance can do, right? The smell of the turkey elicits all kinds of chemical reactions in our brain. For me, it's the smell of biryani cooking. If y'all don't know what biryani is, Google it. It's amazing. It's like this baked rice with lamb meat at the bottom and onions, and it just goes to the very, like, I just go back to my mom waking up in the morning and making both a turkey. and beer, like it, It's unbelievable. It's the fragrance, the aroma that elicits a response that lets us know the meal is coming. Goodness is about to happen. We're all about to watch football and be in a coma because we ate so much food. 2 Corinthians 2.14. That's what Paul says again. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in, catch this, triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. That phrase, triumphal procession, is so important. In the Greco-Roman world, this is the imagery that would be elicited of a king who rides in after victorious battle. And when he rides back into the city after victorious battle, he's bringing with him all kinds of celebration, all kinds of fragrance, all kinds of incense are burning. Like, like it is an epic moment, and Paul makes the illustration that as citizens of the city of God, you and I, we pour out this type of fragrance. And what is this fragrance? The knowledge of of him everywhere, the knowledge of Christ every, everywhere. So what have we found? That the city is important because the city is filled with citizens and the citizens are ruled by the king. And because we're ruled by the king, we have a responsibility. We're citizens of the city. We're ambassadors of the city. We serve as signposts to the city. Y'all, we are the fragrance of the city. These are all the indications of light that is shining, that is glowing, that is drawing people out of darkness into light. I love John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And catch this, in Him was life. And the life was what? The light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What an incredible opportunity for us to shine with life because that life is the light of Christ that explodes out of us as ambassadors that displays a a fragrance of the knowledge of Christ.
And I realize in this moment, there are probably different types of people in this room and watching online. There are probably people who are like, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm a citizen and I gotta, I gotta do this thing. This is exciting. There's some people who are like, I've been on the fence. Like, I've been skeptical of the goodness of this city. I've been skeptical of this king who proclaims himself as king of heaven and earth. Y'all, I've been skeptical of the people who call themselves citizens of this city. Uh, In the opening pages of Genesis, we know the story. Adam and Eve fall into rebellion and sin. I think it's so intriguing, the three questions that God asks them, that I would just want to ask y'all. Where are you? Is the first question God asks Y'all, what city do you belong to? Or do you find yourself as a foreigner in between two cities? The city of God is beckoning you. It's calling you. It's promising you satisfaction and fullness in Christ. The second question that God asked them is, who told you? Obviously, the serpent told them. My question for us is, who is telling us? Who is speaking to us? Because whoever speaks to us informs us and shapes us, And either a culture of darkness will shape us towards more darkness or a culture of light, citizens of the light, through God's word, will shape us into becoming citizens of the kingdom. Who told you? What are we listening to? Who do we belong to? And the third question is, what have you done? That's what God asked them. What have you done? So as a result of what we know to be true of the scriptures, of of the city and the king and the citizens, My question for us is what is our response? For some of us, it's like we're in. We are in. We're ambassadors. We're going to do this thing. For others, it's, gosh, I want to belong to this city. I want this king, Jesus, to be my king. We have to respond in one way or another. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your son Jesus, who came onto earth like no other king in human existence, as a suffering servant, as a baby in a manger, dying the death, that he died on a cross, totally innocent, and yet, like no other king before him, that would die and that will die and that will never raise again, he rose from the grave conquering sin and death and then seated high in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father, he seats us with him. That is the king that we serve. So Lord, I pray that we would live and embody faithful citizens of the city of God while living for a moment as resident aliens in a culture, in a city that is not our own, but that we have a overwhelming desire to draw people of every background, every culture, every ethnicity, every socioeconomical status, draw them to the goodness that is found in the city of God because of the king of the city, Jesus himself. Help us to glow, to shine, like lights in the darkness, beacons of hope. We trust you and we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.